Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. This is the Real Estate Podcast, the intersection between the latest trends in real estate and its impact on our everyday lives. We're your hosts, Alex Norman. And Jamie Blonde, and you've come to the right location. The real estate starts now. In today's episode, Coffee Origins, we explore the intersection between our love of coffee and the locations of its origin and consumption. Alex and I will discuss our history with this unique beverage and how the places and methods used to drink it shape the overall experience. And with that, Alex, please take us out. First off, I love how no one knows exactly how or when coffee was discovered. However, there are many legends about its origins. One of my favorites is the one dating back centuries to the ancient coffee forests of the Ethiopian plateau. There's a legend uh, that says that a goat herder first discovered the coffee bean and its potential. The, The story goes is that the goat herder discovered coffee after he noticed that after eating the berries... Um, from a certain tree, his goats became so energetic they didn't want to sleep that night. This goat herder reported his findings to the abbot of the local monastery, who then made a drink with the berries and found that it kept them alert through the long hours of uh, of evening prayer. And so, the, by the way, I love how monks at monasteries are always inventing stuff to drink. I mean, beer, wine, bourbon—it's crazy. Well, well, I'd like to know how can you tell if a monk is being more productive. When I I see monks in the movies, they're sitting around cross-legged praying or playing with their beads or walking around. I don't know. All of a sudden, someone's going to open up the back door and go, hey, Bob just invented a jacuzzi. He may be onto something with this beverage. I don't know. It seems crazy to me. I think that's how you become a Baptist. Anyway, anyway, the legend legend has it that the uh, this abbot... Uh, apparently shared this discovery with the other monks at the at the monastery, and the knowledge of energizing berries began to spread as the word moved east uh, and coffee reached certain the uh, it reached the Arabian Peninsula. It began the journey that would bring these beans uh, around the world, and and then then it started with Europe. Is this where Jack and the Beanstalk comes in? <laughs> Is that what, is that the magic beans that, could, that everybody's actually, talking about? It actually could be could be the case. I mean, not surprisingly, you know, because you think back in those days when it was all it's all witchcraft and warlocks and you know all the beliefs that people had. You can imagine if all of a sudden somebody is a lot more energetic from you, they probably think he was you know he was possessed by the devil or something. You know what I mean? It could be viewed negatively. Well, that's actually, it, as a matter of fact, it did. But you know, by the 17th century, it turns out that when um, when the the drink started crossing uh the atlantic the the um they they used to call it the bitter invention of satan like the local clergy condemned coffee when it came to venice uh in i think it was 1615 i think that's kind of how so everyone thinks about the origins of coffee being in italy and the the controversy was so great that it turns out the pope clement um the eighth was asked to intervene and he decided to taste the beverage for himself and before making a decision and found the drink so satisfying that he gave it papal approval. So there you have it. Italy first uh, through the Pope. Well, of course, they, they went to the rabbi and he said, well, we're going ha- to have to have something to nosh with this. We need some kind of a bread thing. What do we have? We have something with a hole in it or something we can use? <laughs> so, you know, it's, it then I guess it, it made its place as the, is it, um, as the, the, the breakfast, the first drink of the day. I think there was, at one point it turns out that, that, that coffee replaced beer 
as the first beverage. I mean, surprisingly, people got up in the morning and were, were more productive. And so the reason I, I didn't realize, I thought that people enjoyed coffee, but actually companies and industries uh, forced people to drink coffee so that they would be actually be more productive at work. So it was actually work-sanctioned um, drug abuse and addiction to get people to do the job. It's like people heading out Adderall today to get the work done at companies like Google. It's like speed, right? The exactly. Everybody takes speed, right? And I'll tell you this, talk about forcing. It really was a forcing because I would love today to taste what the coffee was like when that they were drinking versus the coffee, the gourmet coffee we drink today. It's probably not even the same beverage. Well, well, you've been to Jordan. I mean, I think you've had the coffee out there. I don't think, it, I don't think the coffee is much different uh, in Jordan now than it was about a thousand years ago. I, I mean, think it was the same guy trying to sell. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's funny because it's like those, it's like you drink sludge. Like they put the coffee in the bottom of the cup and they pour hot water over it. And you have to let it sit and the sediment to kind of fall down at the bottom before you can drink it. But it just tastes like it tastes like crap. But then again, you know, you have all the energy to hop around the desert if you want. So how, how did this end up in our side of the world? Well, it was brought um, in the late, actually the early, well, late 1700s. Um, and when the colonists they sort of revolted against the heavy tax on tea, which I, I didn't actually didn't realize, but the, but the whole tea party movement got everyone off of tea. And so that moment, uh, tea was associated with colonization and uh, England. And in revolution to the tea, people started drinking coffee instead. It was like <laughs> yeah, you as a marketing guy, I must have been. I would love to have been back there and walked into the boardroom, guys. Guys, we got to talk. <laughs> this is not the image we're looking for. <laughs> Slavery yeah. bad, colonization bad, <laughs> drinking beverages good. We got to separate those. <laughs> yeah, you know, and it's it's amazing. And so what we found they found is that the Dutch. So that so it changed obviously the the trajectory of coffee and made coffee the the, the staple in the United States. Um, but it turns out that the Dutch were responsible for a lot of that trade and then planting the beans in various different parts of the world. One of the reasons why, obviously, Ethiopia being the origins, but why we see uh, coffee beans coming out of Sumatra, coffee beans coming out of the the West Indies, uh, Puerto Rico, Jamaica, coffee coming out of South America, Brazil, and Ecuador, Bolivia. So there, the the coffee didn't originate in those places, but they were brought there by settlers to um, to in, to to instigate and influence trade. And the Dutch were a big proponent of that. So that was really really interesting to to, to uncover. It's what a history! It's a, such an interesting beverage. What I find so interesting about coffee is that depending on where you were, where you lived, and how you were introduced to it you drink it in a completely different way than somebody on the other side of the world. Whether or not, if you, if you started drinking as an espresso in Italy or a cafezinho in Brazil or milk and sugar in the US. So it's just so interesting how this beverage, although it, coffee is coffee, you know, iced coffee came, came along and I, I, I don't remember anybody ever drinking iced coffee in Brazil, but in the States you can't bump into somebody, bump into four people on the street, Two of them are going to have a nice coffee in their hands. So it's just so interesting how this thing blended into society in different ways and how you drank and where you drank it, depending on the location you were in the world. Yeah, you know, it's funny because when you think about iced coffee, which I think is a relatively modern invention, um, you think about where the 
coffee came from and and how it was drank. I mean, it was, I mean, Ethiopia for Christ's sake. I mean, it was, you know, these are places that were very hot um, in the Middle East, very hot, very dry. And at the time when there probably wasn't any ice available, I mean, I just imagine people were chipping off pieces of ice with glaciers in order to get, you know, <laughs> nice coffee. I mean, it's kind of crazy, but but like in warm climates was where you know is where coffee is drunk the most. I'm not sure whether or not that's because people are just more tired because the heat and they, they're more exhausted. They need they need that extra pick me up. Um, but they certainly weren't putting ice in their coffee. And even things like to your point, different types of coffee in Brazil. And I think about um, in places in the Caribbean like Cuba and Miami. Uh, uh, you can order um, a cafecito or um, a cortado or cortadito. Or you can get like a colada. And so coladas are those little high potent, um, uh, really sort of espresso on steroids that you see a lot of the construction workers drinking in the morning and they share it. And it, not only is it becoming a, it, it became a um, a drink that uh, inspired productivity and getting people started for the day, but it also became a communal sharing experience of where you get a chance to talk to your buddies before you get, before you get started on the long day's work. Well, it's interesting. I don't know. You know, they say like alcohol, when you drink alcohol and you get drunk, you don't feel the cold as much. But the truth is, it's the opposite. I think it's lowering your body temperature. It's bad for you that way. I wonder, just because you're in a hot place, if you drink a hot beverage, I'm no doctor. I don't know if that elevates your temperature or maybe that makes it easier to acclimate heat inside your body, heat outside your body. I don't know. Maybe I don't, I don't know. But it's just interesting. But let me ask you this. Where did you first start to drink coffee? How would how did you get introduced to the beverage? Well, I got introduced when I was in, believe it or not, in high school. Um, I would eat chocolate covered coffee beans uh, to stay up at night before tests. So if I was cramming for an exam, I got I was able to get um, the coffee or chocolate flavored coffee beans, and I would just pop those things. And you know, I think. It, that was even before I started drinking the beverage. I didn't know what coffee. I mean, I knew what coffee was, and then I started sort of drinking the eating the the beans, and then I started drinking coffee. And then um, my mother's not listening to this podcast, but I used to, I started smoking, <laughs> and then uh, and I would drink coffee. I would drink coffee while smoking a cigarette. So that was like my thing. So healthy. You you died to go healthy. <laughs> <laughs> What's funny, I was introduced, the first time I was introduced to a beverage that has a social component as a kid was tea. Because when I lived in Brazil, my aunt was from England, Aunt Marjorie, she's from England, and, you know, she grew up having high tea, you know, 3.30, 4 o'clock in the afternoon, everything stops, you enjoy a cup of tea. And we were the kids, you know, they, my, my aunt had three kids, and we were three kids, and we'd all be together, and we loved it when we were with our aunt, and it was high tea. Not for the tea, I could care less about the tea, but it was because with the tea came chocolates and cookies and cakes and candies and little things you ate with the tea, and that's what all the kids loved, especially my aunt, she had these British chocolates, you know, I mean, it was so, so in demand, she'd be slicing chocolate bars with a razor blade. Uh, it was really my <laughs> uncle doing that. But I'll never forget, you know, it's funny you're, uh, what you remember in life. I'll never forget. My aunt used to hate me because I used to put a lot of tea, a lot of sugar in the tea. And my aunt used to say, Jamie, how can you taste the tea with all that sugar? And my uncle Rudy came to the, came to my rescue and he said, he tastes the tea and the sugar. <laughs> but that was my first exposure to a beverage that it has a social component where people came together to enjoy the beverage, which was a big, it's a big part of coffee in the community. 
Well, you know, when you think about, it, I mean, tea in and of itself is a whole other topic, right? I think we can make a whole other podcast about it because the ceremony is associated with tea and, and all that. But I think, you know, that being said, tea, to your point, had a time, right? It was like high tea, five o'clock, you know, tea and crumpets. There's a whole ceremony associated with that, which um, not surprisingly comes from, you know, um, uh, a high a high-born class of, of, of humans in the society of which in the new world uh, we revolted against, which is awesome. But with coffee, I think there's a little bit of that too, right? You drink coffee in the morning. That's like that morning ritual um, of the of the guy or the gal going to the office or going to the factory with a with a jug of coffee. Um, there is that moment. The symbol of productivity is a guy or a gal with a cup with a mug of coffee that has like you know something written on it, like like go get them or whatever <laughs> the, the the coffee cup, and then you know and you know and then there's like. There's this there's this moment of um of so sort of the midday after meal uh coffee drinking. So once you eat your meal, you get you get your dessert and then you get a cup of coffee, or the waiter comes over and says, We'd like some coffee, and then you do that. So there's a there's not only a ceremony, but there's also a book end to an experience of which coffee has a place. I think it's fantastic. You hit the nail right on the head because what I was gonna say next is that the way I got into coffee was having is as an espresso at the end of a meal to go along with something sweet. I'm not a big dessert guy. I like to have something sweet, just a bite or two, just to cut the taste of the rest of the meal, you know, kind of the transition out of the meal. And it's, and again, to your point about, about the whole ceremony of it in the way I like cigars for the ceremony, bringing the espresso, putting in the sugar, tapping your little spoon. And, and I, my aunt, my grandmother loved hot beverages and I got that from her. I'll drink a soup that's too hot. I'll literally burn my throat. I, but I love that hot, that hot feeling that goes along with the taste. And I love that little something warm in my mouth to go along with a, a piece of cookie or cake that that was my exposure to coffee. I I worked in industries, two industries where I was up at the crack of dawn, 5:45 in the morning, and working straight ahead, not 5:45 to commute to sit at your office to read the paper, up and going from the from the moment you got up. And I never used coffee. I never needed coffee. I, I always had plenty of energy. It was never for me the energetic side of it or the or the productivity benefits from coffee. It was the social aspect and the taste and what it did, how, the pleasure it brought to me at the end of a meal. That's what got me into coffee. Well, you know, it's funny you should mention that because I, when I think about the the ritual and the, and and all that, I also think about the region in which uh, we we drank it. We drink it, and the the new local nuances of how it's drank. So when I like Seattle, <laughs> well, I mean, there, there's Seattle, but there's also like, for example, you mentioned sugar, and I I didn't really discover sugar in my. I always had sugar and milk in my coffee, but then when I sort of graduated to espresso and lattes, I didn't have sugar in my espresso. And I always thought, you know, espresso is not really meant to be enjoyed. It's meant to just kind of stimulate you and get you, get you to do what you need to do. But it wasn't until I added sugar, but I learned that from uh, a French buddy of mine. And when I started going to, to France, uh, I would, I in the morning or the actually in the afternoon, like after dinner, when the guy would come out and want some coffees, I would say, yes, can I have a, um, a latte? And uh, at that moment, everyone on the table will look at me like I was crazy. And I said, well, you know, what, what are you looking at me that way for? And says, you, you order a latte for at night? 
And I'm like, what do you mean? And 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 there's this notion that adding milk to your coffee in the evening is like a is like a taboo. Is like, in Italy, milk. they'll shoot you for that. <laughs> and so I didn't even understand the relationship between milk and uh, and the day part, right? Um, as as important. I mean, I figured in America, it's like if you like something, you like something. I don't care if it's light outside or not. I'll I'm gonna I'm gonna I want it. I'm gonna I'm gonna drink it. But there's a certain ritual, and then a apparently a rule of how to drink it depending on where you are in the world. Well, let me ask you this. Are you a white sugar or a brown sugar guy? <laughs> hey. <laughs> I don't know about hey, you, but I don't know what Too bad this isn't on deal. If there was, uh, I, I, was, I don't know why I have this feeling. I don't know. Maybe it's because growing up in Brazil, maybe it was raw sugar. I always feel like white sugar is more processed than brown sugar, although I don't think that's the case at all. I think it's completely marketing. But for some reason, I find it tastes better, the brown sugar. You know, there was a point in time many, many years ago where I got into this whole health kick and I wanted to be healthy. And I was like, all right, you know, I'm going to stop eating sugar. I'm going to go to like the saccharins. And I, I think I went to equal. I went, I went to sweet and low first. Then I went to equal and then I went to Splenda. And then I realized that uh, it, it, all that stuff was killing me. It was like as bad as even worse. It's like worse than, than actual sugar. So I said, okay, well, let me just go then to actual sugar, but the real stuff. And like, and I'm gonna I'm gonna enjoy sugar, but I'm gonna enjoy it the real way and to get the most out of it. And so that's when I switched from white sugar to brown sugar to to the raw sugar because I knew that it was I was getting the most the most out of it, the most natural experience for what it was, sort of the pure cane sugar, if they, if you if you call it that. So I, I went there only because it was the healthiest choice out of all the alternatives that were out there. Well, let's talk about that for a second, because there's been a lot of controversy in coffee for a long time. It was considered unhealthy and bad for you. And there are even some cases where, where like if you're pregnant, for example, your levels of caffeine are important. But they've come to determine now that coffee in limited quantities like anything else is actually can be good for you in a variety of ways. I started drinking more coffee when I read a study that showed that it cut prostate cancer uh, incidences in half which sounded like a good reason to drink coffee. But, you know, the Mayo Clinic says that um, it can, it, it's, that you can have decreased mortality, uh, Parkinson's disease protection, type 2 diabetes protection. It helps with liver disease, including liver cancer. It reduces heart attack and strokes. So, you know, coffee in itself, which was considered, you know, I drink it too much coffee, you're going crazy. And the caffeine can be bad for you in certain instances. But I think the net net is, again, like everything, everything in moderation, including moderation, Coffee can actually be good for you. Well, you know, I think to caveat that it's really about the coffee, not all the crap you put in it, right? I mean, if you go to down to a local Starbucks and you order a mocha frappuccino with the with the with the cream on top and the caramel, that's not the coffee that's going to save your save your life, um, let alone your your uh, your savings account because that'll that'll run you at least fifteen dollars for a cup of coffee. By the way, when when did coffee go from being a product you went and picked up and consumed to being an excuse to have a new office. You know, I used to walk into Starbucks, you get your coffee, you walk out, you walk into Starbucks. Now it looks like an office building. Everyone's sitting there with a half a cup of cold coffee they bought four and a half hours ago on their computer. And I'm standing around holding cups of coffee and no place to sit. It, I mean, coffee places be, went from being a social thing to now it's a work location. You know, way back when, 
when coffee was introduced to England back in the 1600s, it became popular in restaurants and workplaces. As a matter of fact, um, Lloyd's of London uh, was formed at a, the idea came up at a, at a coffee shop where people were going and sharing ideas. I think when you think about classic poets and creativity of, of, of the time, you thought of people sharing ideas at cafes, i.e. Uh, um, restaurants and bars and drinking absinthe and coming up with ideas. When in fact, it was coffee shops where people were the most productive and they went, drank coffee, got energy, came up with ideas, had conversations about the future of civilization, art, history, humanities, all came out, business, all came out of coffee shops. So if you think about it, and in retrospect to, you know, you look back in those days and today, of course, um, you know, I remember way back when in the in the late 90s when coffee shops were places where you'd bring your laptop and you were you know designing websites and stuff um it, it's become a place of work and productivity and i thought it was a really clever idea um when starbucks came around to be able to create those environments of which you can work and then drink so you know what's a cup of coffee three dollars here $3 again. And if you're hanging out there all day, even though you may be sitting with a cup of coffee, you probably get one or two in. You would not may not have gotten if you either bought um, the Sanka from the grocery store um, or had the coffee mate machine at home. Now, instead of being at home drinking coffee, now you're at Starbucks drinking their coffee with friends and, and uh, the community. Yeah, it was it was a it opened up a whole new it's crazy opened up what, a you brought you society out, changed it brought you out of yeah. the house it'd been literally i mean i remember it's like coffee used to be a thing like you bought a house you had a toaster you had an oven and you had a coffee maker and yeah, that mr was a coffee remember <laughs> joe dimaggio mr coffee hey if you can mar if you marry marilyn monroe i imagine you probably make a good cup of coffee but uh but and and now jesus christ have you seen the machines now Listen, I remember when 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 video games went from Space Invader to more sophisticated. I couldn't even do that. I have no idea how to use these machines. They have more electronics than my car does. So I, it's amazing what they can do. I think literally they could go outside and probably rip the bean off the plant now and put it in the machine and take care of everything else. Well, you know, if you talk to uh, any self-respecting barista, I mean, they can really break it down for you, right? I mean, there's so many things that go into a good cup of coffee. I mean, it's the it's the it's the the head temperature, um, the frothiness. It's all of these components all factored in. And I actually, speaking of which, I'm just surprised there's actually a machine that can consistently make a good cup of coffee. And I'm just sort of amazed how companies like Nespresso do it. It's pretty pretty remarkable. And they've got. And I don't know if you've noticed, but they've got massive numbers of patents um, around how they make the coffee that they make and the and the machine the machines work. So there's not only science, but there's money uh, in this business that if for some reason still, well, I guess not for some reason, because caffeine is an addictive substance. So there is a there is a there is a method to their madness. Um, but it's a massive industry that just seems to keep, seems to be keeping on, it seems to keep on growing. Yeah, well, you know, I, in so many ways that we've just discussed and how it's such a, a part of our fabric of society to have coffee with people and anything that can bring people together, whether it's a cocktail at a bar or whether it's, a, a, you know, grab a coffee at a Starbucks, I think that helps society move forward in harmony. I think it's a good thing. You know, it's uh, 
Funny you mentioned that. Right? <laughs> not, not to get heavy on us there for a second. I mean, <laughs> thank no, God I, for coffee. <laughs> I did a cup of coffee right now. So it's funny because, you know, when you think about the humanity, I also think about civilization, right? And when, I mean, I talked earlier about the hard worker. Uh, companies, and we talk about Starbucks, obviously, which seems to be more um, of a white collar um, brand versus like Dunkin' Donuts. I mean, those of you that are that are in the U.S. Did you see the Ben Affleck commercial no, I, in the Super uh, Bowl where he's working? He's working at, 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 uh, at Dunkin' Donuts. Yes, yeah, so that's hilarious. So, but you know, it's funny because um, Dunkin' Donuts is their whole thing, their whole marketing campaign over the past twenty years has been the sort of the working class brand. And they had this, their whole slogan was like, Duncan, you, know, you can do it. And it was like, you can do anything you could. And that's how the working class started their day at Duncan. And they, and they owned it, right? And they went there because the coffee, you know, quite frankly, sucks. It, but it's a good cup. Of, it's a consistently mild tasting cup of coffee that everyone can drink. Uh, versus, you know, the espressos and the macchiatos and all that high fancy flute and stuff. And Duncan's great, but it became about the working class and being the people that worked in. I would imagine Duncan's is more affordable as well, which helps. So you say, you, you know, and it's like you made an interesting point as a marketing guy. You said, you know, it was more of a blander cup of coffee that could reach more people. I guess it's like you can go for the sophisticated or expensive that a few can afford, or you can go for a product that more people can, you can hit more taste buds, a little more bland, a little less exotic, but you could get a, you know, a, a, a higher base of user at a lower price. I guess that's all where you, where you, where you want to place your product, which brings me to this point. Do you know what the most expensive? expensive coffee in the world is you're gonna love this story <laughs> have you me. heard of this okay yeah. all right so there's an animal called a civet which is like a cat-like mammal kind of a cross between a cat and a monkey that lives in the forests of africa and asia and they take these beans these coffee beans and they feed them to the civets and the civets body partially digests it and then shits it out and that's being to make what's called Copilumac, the most expensive coffee in the world. It can cost as much as $80 a cup. And that's where the phrase comes from. This coffee is the shit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you right now, I go out on a date and that woman orders that coffee. She ain't getting a kick good night. <laughs> So I, I wonder how do they find out about that? Like who who dis who discovered the civets excrement tasted great? Like how, how apparently, they apparently a lot of excrements from this mammal are used in a variety of aroma areas like perfumes. And so they probably thought that this might this aroma that this whatever secretions this this mammal gives off that can be used in other areas might uh, in might enhance the flavor of the coffee but how you got that first person to try it i mean we just had in one of the last episodes we had john nicholas talking about a new way to shuck oysters and we were talking about how who the hell looked at an oyster or a lobster or a crab and said you know what i gotta taste that so after that Taking a beer bean that's been shit from an animal isn't that much of a stretch. I got to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> 
Wow, that's incredible. I want the guy robbing it to go get the beads. <laughs> I'd rather be the guy feeding the mammal the beads than the wow. guy recovering the beads. <laughs> well, I, I would, I would. Hey, mind it's me. show business. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wouldn't be. I wouldn't mind. That's having, show business you know. for you. <laughs> wow, like you know, that's that's uh, well, that's a, that's another saying for you know when your shit don't stink. But look, I think um, the end of the day, <laughs> the end of the day, coffee don't stink. <laughs> the day we we all benefit a lot of our productivity around the world from that great beautiful black substance um but i i have to i have to say like i think when when all things said and done we've been trying i think the world has been trying to make coffee extinct i mean we discover all these other ways to stimulate us there's 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 guarana, there's um uh guarin, Red Bull which right, which has guarana and and, um, guarin in it. And there's all these different types of alternatives to coffee, but at the end of the day, people still drink coffee. And it's like the it's like the thing that's been around for centuries. Um, and we've been trying to innovate and improve, but yet for some reason we're all we're going back to the basics. And I, I think that just is a testament to how powerful this 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 substance is and how profound uh, it has been for um for mankind around the world, let alone you know, let alone MFCT has its own place, but the coffee has been pretty significant. Yeah, and, and its place in society uh, uh, as a way for people to communicate, to get together, um, it's just ingrained. I don't think it's going to be very, uh, you'd have to have some real, I think, health scare to really pull people off of coffee. And like you say, like cigarettes, you know, if your product happens to also be addictive naturally, that's not a bad thing to have either <laughs> as the producer of the product. You know, I just started watching Ted Lasso. I don't care if you, if you watch that show. I love and, Ted Lasso. Love that show. And the first episode, I'm just getting started. The first episode, um, Ted gets, he lands in the UK and he's like, can I get a cup of coffee? And he's like, yeah, you can get some tea. He's like, he's like, what do you, what do you, uh, what do you take in your coffee? And he's like, what I would do is I take it back. So, what do you take in your tea? And he says, well, I'll just take it back because I know they made a mistake. Yeah, he hates <laughs> it. He hates tea. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's definitely a regional thing. And so when you, uh, I think word to the wise when you when you travel, uh, know in advance what that culture consumes in the morning uh is the is a kind of the lesson number one of so the 101 of travel etiquette uh is don't always assume that everyone drinks coffee and if they do know how they drink it uh is the key key to success and what an what an exciting thing to do to travel around the world and try out coffees in different places and and uh immerse yourself in the culture and do whatever the cultural thing is or take it at the time that people take it there with the group of people that they take it and just help uh just help to improve uh society interaction between people productivity i mean it's just it's all good and and it tastes good with a lot of sugar at least from my end <laughs> and on that sweet note well that concludes our discussion about coffee its benefits and how we drink it and where we drink it around the world tune in next week for another show and thank you for listening see ya you've been listening to the real estate podcast give us a quick review and rating on itunes check out our website at therealstate.co and let us know if there are any new topics you'd like to hear us address we love hearing your feedback see you next week